Jewish Board Talk with Sharice Zaffert. Since the establishment of Israel in 1948, well over a thousand South African Jews have volunteered to fight in defense of the Jewish state. Today I speak to two of these volunteers, Merrick Levitas and Selwyn Jankalovitz. Merrick volunteered in the 1967 Six-Day War, while Selwyn went over to serve in the Yom Kippur War in 1973. They join me now to tell me about their experiences. Um, Merrick and Selwyn, welcome and thank you for joining me. Thank you. Merrick, let's start with you. We have recently celebrated Yom Yerushalayim. What kind of memories did that bring back? Cherise, um, it's very interesting because uh, it was the changing of my life uh, from being a young man to a man who met a woman, Cape Town girl in Cape Town, from Cape Town, and uh, I met her and we subsequently got married just a few months later. Besides that, I was in the army, put into the army when we got to Israel, and uh, so it was a, a tremendously interesting experience and uh, something that... Uh, has changed me throughout my life. Merrick, one of the things we we hear is that for the Six-Day War, the, by the time so many people arrived to volunteer, the war was actually over. That is correct. What was your experience? Well, um, our plane load got there on the 20th of June. Um, and, of course, we flew around the bulge, which took 24 hours to get to Israel. So by the time we got there, um, you know, the expectancy of going into maybe a, a kibbutz and doing jobs, you know, picking fruit and goodness knows what, we were actually put into the army. So that, that, was, that was the part of, of the, the start of, of our experience, which was amazing. And then what happened? Well, uh, we spent about two months in Jerusalem. Um, it was actually a soccer field, which was the school of the police, Beit Sefer HaShotrim. Uh, and we used to do recovery work on the so-called West Bank. Uh, we went into, um, from through Jerusalem, we stayed in Jerusalem on the West Bank. That was the o- o- occupied uh, area. And from there we went to the Jordan River. Um, we did all recovery work in Jordanian camps, um, bringing back all sorts of different things like beds, um, uniforms, Anything that was useful to Israel, we actually brought out of the different camps. So in your experience was very different. Um, you left uh, Yom Kippur, uh, the Yom Kippur War, had a very different feel to the 67 war. Um, it also took you forever to get to Israel. Well, we were sitting in Shul on Yom Kippur, which was a Saturday, and people put on radios because the news was terrible. And it sounded that Israel was caught with their pants down, which they were. And the first couple of days of the 73 Yom Kippur War was devastating, I think, for the Jewish people. And I was 20 years old, which I think that was the age group of most of the guys. And we, Sunday morning, we were at the Zionist Fed volunteering to go and do what we have to do. Um, we only got there towards the end of November. So we went a different route. We went to Nairobi, to Tehran, who had good relations with Israel. And we arrived in Tel Aviv um, for the weekend, and then we got distributed to Kibbutzim. Right. So we weren't required to go into the actual army itself. So we arrived at the Kibbutz. We were uh, seven South Africans and two Rhodesians in those days, and uh, we were put into work in a very difficult situation because our Kibbutz had lost 11 young guys, 
And from a kibbutz of Anka Road, which had 1,100 people, it's a big loss. Yes. So it was difficult times. And especially, I know, kibbutzim are so community-focused that any loss is um, a big one. But the work that you did, you were not replacing, but you were helping ensure that others could go to the war. Well, it was quite interesting because my late father had a furniture factory, which I'd done my trade in, very modern here in Johannesburg. And here I arrived at this factory. I think the machines must have come off Noah's Ark. They were so antiquated. And when I told them what I'd done, I, I became a laborer. But it wasn't a laborer because all they did was drink coffee and discuss everything. Now these Israelis are all politicians. And eventually we went into the grayfield, uh, grapefruit orchards and we picked grapefruits and worked in the chicken hocks and everything else that uh, night they needed us to load chickens. We volunteered the South Africans and we did it. We were there for a reason. And uh, we did our job. Both of you have memories, memorabilia, things that you've kept with you. Um, Merrick, you've got a book. I think you also said you've got a scrapbook of everything. How often do you think about those days? You know, what? Constantly, because it, as I said, it, it was such a huge part of my life uh, that um, it's influenced my children into one talks Ivrit perfectly. The others visit Israel as often as they possibly can. So it's been it's been an experience that uh, we virtually live with every day. I still have a friend. I've just come back from Israel. Uh, I was there for Yom Yerushalayim. And I have a friend there who I met 50 years ago. Mm. He was a captain in the army in Sinai. And uh, I stayed with them. Um, they run a travel agency. I was able to join a group from a lot that came up to Jerusalem, especially for Yom Yerushalayim. I was there last Tuesday, um, and uh, so it, it it becomes part of our lives every day. We think about our, our our family, our friends in particular, in Israel, and um, we sp- I speak to them almost every week or two, and uh, so it's it's very much a part of our lives even now after fifty years. It's almost like you're at twenty years old, you're invincible, you, and but you also the friendships you make under those kinds of circumstances are comrades. They're not. The, yes. Yes. Do you still have yours? Uh, your unfortunately, with our group, where there's not much records in this country, uh, it wasn't kept. Most of them emigrated, so I have. From the seven of us South Africans, I think everyone except for myself is oh, overseas. Really? But I have in contact with my brother, obviously. Uh, the one lady who's with us, who's married my, one of my best friends, who doesn't talk to me now. Um, <laughs> Maybe after joking. the show. Uh, you'll talk to me now. Yes. <laughs> and uh, we're still in contact. And, um, yeah, the one guy became my best man at my wedding. Yeah. That's how the friendships. So the big thing was you met people from all over the world. And uh, it's just something really fantastic to experience that as a 20-year-old. I think you couldn't do it now because it would be not appreciated as we did. Well, obviously, Israel was in a very different situation in those days. You know, it's not as needed in in terms of you felt you you had to go, Merrick, when you… Oh, yes, because I come from a family of of Zionists and they… when it came to that particular time in our lives, and Israel really was in a critical situation. I mean, when, when NASA closed the Straits of Tehran, and Israel was really in a serious situation, and I think all the Jews throughout the world felt it. There were, there were appeals, money, and goods, and all sorts of different clothes, and, and anything that, that could be sold 
money sent to Israel, that's what happened. And uh, so we, we were in a situation where it really was critical for, for us to volunteer and go and do whatever they told us to do or asked us to do. And that was why I think, as Selwyn and I feel, we're very proud of having been associated with uh, with Israel throughout the years that are of great importance. The lone soldier, you know, it's something that often I think Israel is starting to deal with a lot better than maybe initially. But you go into a foreign country, you can't speak the language, <laughs> you don't know the society. Um, you, you, your fears are they're very real fears. Yeah, I agree with that. But also I think the the reason why you've got to be a Zionist and feel for Israel. And I think we all, I mean, I think back to sitting at the kibbutz in the evenings and I befriended a Russian guy who was a chess player. I didn't know how to play chess because at school we played ball games. <laughs> and the chess guys weren't part of the crowd. And our common language became chess and nivrit. And I learned to speak Hebrew through this guy because I had to communicate with him. And again with the kibbutzniks. Uh, and, and then when they started realizing we were there for a good reason and we got adopted by families, the whole kibbutz um, theme changed with us. And when we left, we all cried because mm. we were part of that family. But I, I think Solomon was lucky because uh, we were with a, a whole group of English-speaking people. So we didn't really have time to, uh, to learn Ivrit because we were working very hard, driving trucks and uh, seeing the country. But I think you were lucky that you were able to actually speak some Ivrit. I mean, I picked up a few words. One of the words that I learned was Savlanut, which I think is you have to be patient. And that was the theme, really, of, of our time there uh, to a large degree. Because you couldn't speak the language, did you have an, in, an additional fear? Or no. was it just, again, this feeling no, of um, I think we got patriotic. by. How I mean, did you get by? Well, you know, the funny thing about it is we made fools of ourselves in a way because we would say, Masha, what's the time? And they'd answer you back and we you didn't know what they were talking about. <laughs> <laughs> so you had to say, show me your watch as <laughs> exactly. opposed to what's the time. And they thought you were going to steal it so they didn't want to get it. <laughs> <laughs> well, South Africans do have a reputation, yeah. but generally in Israel it's a good reputation. And, of course, South Africans have um, kind of really played their part in terms of going to, to Israel over the years. Charisse, I'll give you an interesting story. When we were in 73, and the Jerusalem Post, which is obviously the main English newspaper, would print an article, send us more South Africans with American money, <laughs> because we did everything that was required plus. But per know, capita, South Africans gave more than yeah. any other country in the world, if yeah, you remember. So there's nothing, you know, you'd come back at night after hiding chickens and spelling like, <laughs> like chickens, <laughs> what it's creating to you. And uh, there's no hot water. We didn't complain. We jumped in the cold water. We yes, had a shower. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And gone to bed yeah. and faced the next day. Yeah. Brushed your teeth with cold water. And yeah, and we survived. But I, I do think that uh, part of our lives, uh, our group, was that we went into Sinai for two months. And as I said, drove uh, Russian trucks out of uh, Sinai, which was, was very interesting because we could actually pump up the tires from inside the, the, uh, the cab. Also, another observation that was interesting, and I've shown you the shirt that the Egyptians wore, which is a, a winter shirt, winter material, that they actually wore in the heat of summer. And their tanks, T-55 tanks, had the exhaust pipe around the body of the tank. That Can you imagine over 100 degrees? And the, these poor Egyptians were sitting in the tank, 
frazzled, getting frazzled, and and not being able to move other than being in these in the, in the terribly hot, maybe 150 degrees. But also the interesting part about it was that the, all the instructions were either in Russian or in English, mm. and they are illiterate. They were illiterate. So can you imagine trying to drive something or do something and you didn't know how to do anything? That's why they ran away the way they did. Merrick, what was it like for you? You were young. You came mm. from South Africa. You had been in the army here. No, I actually you wasn't hadn't. balloted. No. Okay, mm. so you, this is your first army experience. Yes, yes. What goes through your mind? You're driving a tank in, mm. in, in the desert. Well, you know, it's also it's a difficult question to answer, but you can imagine the challenge and saying at that age you can do anything. Um, so we didn't really worry about anything that may happen because if something happened, we were young. We didn't care, really. We were there to do a job, and that was the job that we did for Israel, whatever they told us, whatever they asked us to do. Did you ever kind of sit, look at the skies and think, how did I get you? I looked at the sky and I looked at the desert and I thought <laughs> that this is the, the most beautiful place in the world. To, to be there So the, the danger was not even It didn't even cross our minds And I'll tell you Actually a funny story That we I think that our group In the desert We actually were stationed At a place called Nakal Which I'll show you In, in the, the book that I have It was an, uh, an Egyptian hospital But we found More ammunition In that place Than I think All the Egyptians Shot in the whole war mm. In the six days Or whatever long You know So it was just An amazing fact That we actually, every afternoon after doing our job, we would put up targets and we'd shoot to our heart's content. I had one particular guy that was in the army, and he just loved it. And we all did, in fact. You loved it. You, no trauma? Nothing. No. And you saw it? No trauma? You didn't no. come back? We Not weren't at all. worried. It was you know, times in Israel in, in 73, 74, when I was there, we'd have to do guard duty at the kibbutz. Today would be very, very different mm. with the problems that Israel's going through. Those days... I gave you, or I'd done the army here, and I'd just come out of an army camp, three-week army camp, um, probably two, three weeks before the Yom Kippur War. So I was fresh in, in, in inverted commas, and you just did it. You know, it was part of what you volunteered for. That may, may I just say, you know, I, I just wanted to say, having just uh, been through Shavuot, I just made a note that uh, our, our boys went to St. Catherine's Monastery, which is at the foot of, of Mount Sinai, mm -hmm. where Moses got, you know, we got the, the Ten Commandments. So even this last 24 hours or 48 hours has been so wonderful for me to experience the thought that we would stood at the foot of Mount Sinai, uh, where St. Catherine's Monastery is, and, you know, felt that we belong to the Jewish people. It, was the, it is the most wonderful mm -hmm. feeling. And also... Being you were part of history. Both of you were part of history. I agree very much so. And I think um, it's a pity that, well, thank God, there's no more wars, thank God. But if our kids' generation would have gone through what we went through, I think you'd appreciate it. And just one little small thing to laugh about. Our first day on the kibbutz, we had a kibbutz father who took us around. So we had people from all over, America, England, South Africa, Australia. And we arrived back at the Chadeocha, and there was a big jug of juice with some flies. And he flicked these flies, and he poured the juice, and he had juice. And I thought, no, nah, I'm a good Jewish boy from South Africa. I'm not drinking juice. By the fourth day, was I thirsty? I flicked the flies. And you learned. You know what? You ate. You did. You'd, it wasn't important. 
the Chavashab togetherness was the most important thing, I think. And having been brought up in South Africa, I think, as Merrick said, my parents also were very Jewish, very Zionist, and I have a love for Israel. And my one regret, and unfortunately my mom is not with us, she's passed on, that she came back to fetch me. But we listened to our mothers in those days, and you know what? She knew I wasn't coming home. (laughs) But may may I just say something that I think is very important that I'm very proud of, and that is the South African work ethic. It was amazing that the South African boys, supposedly all spoilt with nannies and everything, and when we got to Israel, we worked like there was no tomorrow. Whatever was asked of us, whatever we were told. And I think the the work ethic, and we can see it now, that people who've left South Africa to go and live in in other parts of the world have been so successful. Mm. Many, many people uh, that have have really uh, proved themselves to be amazing work people that, that don't mind working hard and proving a point. I mean, I think of, of Israel, I think of Australia, uh, America, it, and I'm very proud of our South African men, the, the young men that we were, that really worked very hard. You know, people often say to me when they come to South Africa from Israel or from other parts of the world, how Zionistic yes. our community is. So we have a good combination of being in the majority, overwhelmingly Zionistic and also hardworking. And, and, and very yeah. proud of our Jewish heritage. Uh, you, you can see what happens here when overseas people come and they, they can't believe how we behave as far as shul and uh, our knowledge of Hebrew. And, and really, it is wonderful. Yeah, and, but also, as you said, proudly Jewish. You know, yes, we have yes. such a vibrant community here. Yes. But, Sharice, if you think back, I mean, I think to my own. The youth movements in our days were very important. I think mm. for Mary coming from a smaller town like Springs, mm. that we all were involved with it, Abonim, Akiva, mm. whatever it was, camps. Mm. And, and we had our uniforms, and we were proud to use those uniforms. And I remember as a 10-year-old kid going to my first camp at Onrust in 1964, where we had 20 family members. Mm. And I was a little kid of you know, 10 years old with my beret and my uniform and my... Rope here, my water bottle here, and it was it was pride in those days. Mm. So Israel's always been part of my life in mm. particular. Absolutely, and I'm sure Merrick yeah. will agree with us, and it's, that's a big part of our yeah. upbringing. And that's a beautiful way to end the interview. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. Thank you. That was um, Merrick Levitas and Solon Jankalovitz sharing their experiences of fighting in Israel's wars.